Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everyone. If you listened to last week's episode with 102-year-old Dr. Gladys McGarry, you know the fundamentals of longevity are actually very simple. Movement, purpose, gratitude, and love. Now, today's episode with Dr. Matt Cook is quite the contrast, but it's just as fascinating. Here, we'll talk about all the biohacking tools you can use for longevity, from NAD infusions to peptide injections to stem cell therapy and more. Matt is a board-certified anesthesiologist with over 20 years of experience and a pioneering regenerative medicine expert. He focuses on repairing and restoring health on a cellular level using minimally invasive treatments to help the body heal itself naturally. He's even the guy functional medicine doctor Mark Hyman goes to when he's in a pinch, and Matt also treats a number of my friends who absolutely adore him. And today, he's here to talk about all the biohacking tools that will transform longevity as we know it, including... A very interesting POV on microdosing Ozempic. Matt, welcome. Hey, great to be with you, Jason. Thank you so much. So great to finally have you. Uh, you treat a number of my my good friends, and and you're the guy who Mark Hyman famously said he goes to when he's in a pinch. It's you, Matt Cook. And so, can we start by briefly talking about your background and the type of medicine you practice? Oh, yeah, thank you. It's, it's funny, everybody always asks that question. And so then, you know, there's a million different answers of like, kind of, I, and I always try to motivate people that are on a hero's journey, and that their narrative and their story will ultimately evolve and change. But um, I uh, thought I was going to be an expedition sports medicine sort of oriented person. So then I went into anesthesia so that I could take extended trips and go to Everest and do all the stuff that I uh, thought I was going to spend my life doing when I was young. And um, and I became an anesthesiologist and I did basically ultrasound guided injections to put nerves to sleep so that you could do surgery. So I would do put all the nerves in the arm to sleep and, and then you could do surgery without putting somebody to sleep. So I'd give them sedation. And, and um, so I spent about 10 years running surgery centers and doing ultrasound guided injections with numbing medicine. And then, um, but that whole time while I was doing that, I was interested in integrative wellness. And so I was taking kind of Mark Hyman type of classes and even some of the classes that he taught and, um, but didn't know him and took, was uh, uh, studying Chinese medicine. I got a doctorate of medical Qigong, uh, studied, uh, yoga for a long time with a famous person named Arkady that's super amazing and uh, and was sort of basically trying to integrate the knowledge and wisdom and perspective of basically Eastern and integrative approaches, traditional approaches to medicine with sort of the Western um, and uh, but really living, I kind of 
in a, a very Western, hardcore, sterile surgical environment. And then uh, we started to find out that you could put other things around nerves like growth factors or peptides or um, uh, other stem cells and um, and into joints and into fascia. And so then I, I basically sort of evolved as the as the as the field actually happened overnight like in my life it didn't exist when i started practice and then um started doing a lot of ultrasound guided regenerative medicine and um which has been something i've been doing forever and then i basically integrated that with the the wellness and integrative approaches that we had to medicine and so then my practice now is sort of a harmony of all of that so you mentioned peptides and you know i want to spend time on injections i think that's an area that is on the cutting edge um we haven't talked about it yet in this show and when i think of injections i think of peptides i think of nad dare i say semaglutide ozempic uh iv and many people you know we know in common are on the cutting edge including mark who who goes to you when he's in a pinch uh are turning to these types of interventions so let's let's go there what are the benefits and i know that this is a can maybe walk us through all the types of injections you practice and, and walk us through the, the benefits of each one maybe better than the benefits would be what are the categories of type of injections that that people do and and so then the the categories are going to range from um, injections that we uh, help people do at home that they do themselves, all the way to very complex, sophisticated injections that we do in the office here. Um, the and injections that we people do at home uh, can range from things like vitamins, like you you hear that people can do NAD. Uh, as a subcutaneous shot and used to be we would do it with needles and syringes now we do it with little insulin syringes which makes it super super easy to do and super easy to travel with and 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 so can be a very helpful tool for some people um and nad is mitochondrial enhancing and i, I know you've sort of talked about it on your show um and so uh, it has a diversity of effects that uh, are in the anti-aging and sort of wellness detox uh, pathways. Um, uh, in terms of peptides, there's a host of different peptides that fall into a bunch of different categories. Um, the, there are some peptides that uh, tell your brain to secrete and make more growth hormone. And so we call, there's a hormonal category. There's a bunch of peptides that are helpful for gastrointestinal function. There's some peptides that are helpful for immune function. Uh, it turns out our immune system is embedded in our, uh, our nervous system and in our gut. And so a lot of the immune peptides can be helpful for uh, other systems. And a lot of the immune peptides tend to be fairly helpful for pain, which is fairly interesting. Um, there's some peptides that regulate metabolism and then can be helpful uh, to some extent for weight loss. And so then that's Ozempic in that whole category uh, of peptides. Um, and then there's some specific peptides that are sort of helpful for neurological uh, aspects. And so then just as a high level with broad brushstrokes, you begin to realize, wow, so then 
you can just about influence all of medicine, all of systems-based biology with different different peptides that um, and some of those we use them in in the office and sometimes uh, people use them at home and so you have a fairly big diversity there and so then uh, and and so then the that leads to sort of the follow-up which is our goal is to at a high level meet people understand uh, their needs and preferences and and who they are understand their story and what their their life is about and what they're trying to achieve. And then um, to use a broad set of tools, some of which may be peptides that they could inject at home, some of which might be supplements, a huge amount that would be lifestyle biohacking. And then we, we have the stem cells and sort of the bigger type of injections that we do in office. And then kind of coordinating all of that to optimize total wellness. Got it. So let, let's lot to cover. Uh, let, let's let's go back to NAD. Can you talk to us? Let's start there, and then we'll we'll go down the peptide list in terms of you know hormones, gastroimmune, pain, weight loss. That's that's going to be a fun one. Uh, and then we'll touch stem cells as another beast. I don't know if we'll get that to today, and I think that's like a separate episode. Well, but let's start with NAD. What does the science say about the, the benefits, the risks, who can benefit? Okay, so then NAD is a great topic. I like to say that biology is like an assembly line. And on that assembly line, you, if you went into a Ford Motor Company, you'd see an assembly line and you see a bunch of things where they that are just low-cost little aspects of the assembly line. They put a carpool sticker on it didn't cost any money, didn't cost hardly any effort. And so it uh, didn't take much energy. So they just slap that on and it just moves down the assembly line. There are some reactions that are basically expensive reactions that require energy to happen. It, it, in a car example, putting a door on, you got to hold it, you got to use a bolt. It's going to take a bunch of uh, energy to do that. We have these little uh, ox we call them redox, but they're oxidation reduction little uh, cycles within the body that drive expensive biochemical reactions. And so NAD plus exists in an oxidized state. And then in the assembly line of biochemistry, what NAD plus does is it donates an electron and facilitates a reaction and it converts itself into a low energy state. Then the body recycles it back into its high energy state. So we have NAD uh, constantly in every cell in our body all the time uh, going from a high energy state to a low energy state and facilitating expensive biochemical reactions. Those could be those could be either making energy in your mitochondria, those could be turning on DNA repair, those could be turning on the sirtuin superfamily, uh, which is, has to do with uh, extending longevity. So there's a, a huge diversity of things that NAD does. I, I got into it you know, more than 10 years ago because we were working with a lot of people that had addiction. And one of the most expensive biochemical reactions in the body is breaking down alcohol. Every time you break down alcohol, you lose two NAD molecules. And so, um, and, and 
just like walking around town, if you had 50 bucks in your pocket, you'd kind of feel rich and you could go get a coffee if you wanted one. If you're walking around town, you got a good amount of NAD in your body, you've got a whole bunch of potential energy that you can use to either detox or, or run different pathways that are needing to be run. Um, and so then uh, initially for the addiction people, we gave super high doses. Now we give a, a lot lower doses um, generally. Uh, and we combine it with other things that are, are synergistic with NAD. It turns out there's a bunch of supplements that will help uh, drive NAD. Uh, NMN and nicotinamide riboside are two of them. Um, and then, um, then there's the controversy because NAD can stimulate growth. There are some people who say you shouldn't be taking NAD if you have cancer. And so then this is a, uh, evolving topic that, you know, I just generally follow that mainly just because from a medical legal perspective, I don't want the hassle of it. And yet there are some people, it's all over the map what people say. Some people will say uh, there's there's a lot of controversy on this, and I don't think there's one right answer to it, but just know that there's some controversy for people with cancer. But overall, I think it's a, a, a very safe thing to do, very helpful, very helpful for people to get off of uh, addictive tendencies. And, and it's one molecule of 100 that we use to sort of regulate and balance biology. So it sounds like the, the promise is one can help people who are dealing with addiction. Is it, is it about longevity? Is that the secondary benefit? Is there a feeling attached? Do you feel energy? I would say the secondary benefit is energy. And, and the secondary benefit would be probably, uh, 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 energy and helping people with brain fog and, and helping people feel better. I got my black coffee. Is that? I've got, I've got uh, uh, I was at my friend's house and I stole their coffee cup. <laughs> what I would say is that of all of the places where we have those expensive biochemical reactions going on, uh, there are more of those reactions happening in our liver and our brain than anywhere else. And so we use more NAD in our brain and liver than anywhere else for detox pathways and also just for metabolic activity. And so I think uh, to one extent, taking NAD improves cell function. And then as you improve cell function, a rising tide lifts all boats. And so if you improve metabolic activity of the cells in your brain, you think more clearly and uh, uh, more cogently. And, and so then I think, I think it, that plus, and then, you know, I always tell this story, but it, I think it, it, it bears repeating at some level. And that is, if, if your NAD levels are low because you drink too much, and then you don't feel good, then there's one option is just drink more. That's the, that's the first thing. And so then people get into this vicious cycle of alcohol. And so... You know, the, we've uh, sort of one thing that I have found is I get people kind of on an algorithm of using NAD and peptides and uh, for a gigantic swath of my friends and myself, you know, coming out of COVID, almost everybody hardly drinks anymore. 
I think that's just because if you get your cell functioning, working really well, there's just less tendency to drink, even though like I love alcohol, but it's just, it, if you can help people do it super easily with almost no effort, then that's a win. I mean, and that's not hardcore addiction. Hardcore addiction, I have to tell you, is a 100% full court press that takes almost everything that you have. And when we deal with that, we do still like ganglion blocks, we do ketamine, we treat the vagus nerve, we do a lot of NED, we do peptides. And so, you know, and, and that just goes to show you that, that almost every problem that we deal with exists on a spectrum. And so, the, you know, just like you, you could be in a hospital bed uh, and uh, completely non-functional with uh, autism, or you could be a tech CEO running a, a company that uh, just is a little bit emotionally unavailable. And so in this, but there's a spectrum between those, but there are somewhat physiological processes that are consistent across that spectrum. And so then in the same way, addictions could be a spectrum. And so, so many problems that we face. And so then we feel that we can shift people to a healthier side on the spectrum without a lot of effort, but with empowering people to understanding what their biology is and then starting to track and then, and then, uh, uh, when, once you have enough power to begin to control your biology, it's super empowering for feeling free and, and alive and living kind of and feeling well. And in terms of longevity, do we have any idea yet of uh, injecting an AD may extend life by a certain number of years or? You know, longevity is this sort of nebulous topic because then you say well what how how, how are we going to extend longevity and by how much and, and then what are we going to do in a way it's a little bit of a black box because we're sitting here and we're trying to postulate what's going to happen in 80 years from now okay and so then we're extrapolating a little bit from um the people in the blue zones that made it to 100 and made it there healthily. And so it's, we're sort of trying to look at those people and say, what did they do? And uh, then how could we contextualize that, put it into our life, and then extend our longevity? Right, because they weren't doing any of this. They weren't supplementing. They're not doing injections. They're, yeah, they're drinking wine. They're walking up hills. They're hanging out with friends. Exactly. Now... And if they were doing that, they were doing that moderately. And so then one of the keys is to be to do almost everything moderately. That's like one of my great keys. Like right now, almost everything that I do is moderate. So I feel kind of super great about that. Um, I, what ha, the way that I think about longevity is imagine that your biology is like a portfolio. And imagine I was looking at that like I was a hedge fund manager or a money manager. And essentially what I'm trying to do is manage risk out of that portfolio. What ha the, the first thing on longevity is to manage all of the obvious risk out because that's like the low hanging fruit. And so then addiction um, uh, is there, and, and so then the next thing is, is you, you go talk to the smart internal medicine people and then you say, Hey, what, what should we do? And they're going to say, you got to manage blood sugar 
you got to make sure they don't have that type 2 diabetes. You got to make sure they don't have metabolic syndrome, high uh, obesity, uh, high blood pressure, and and uh, high blood sugar. And so then going in and actively managing all of that stuff and uh, taking that risk out of the portfolio of your health. So then how do you think about some of the screening like Pronovo is in, in terms of thinking about managing risk? You know, I think it, there's consensus in that the earlier you catch, you know, say, look, pancreatic cancer, for example, is, is a killer, probably the worst type of cancer one could ever want. And the big problem there is usually it gets discovered too late. There's not much one can do. But with if you're able to to manage that risk and maybe screen for that earlier, you can catch it and live a long, healthy life. So how do you think that's one example? How do you think about early screening across the board? The That is a great one. And then what I'd like to say is that um, I'm here in Silicon Valley. And so the computer um, chip in this phone has been doubling every uh, two years since 1969, Moore's Law. And so then... Um, you know, the, um, what's available to me and what, what we're doing in our practice is more than doubling every two years. And so then there's a exponential growth in our ability to pay attention to things. Now then if you stratified paying attention to things and then a dollars and cents investment out and they said, Hey, what, if you if you said, hey, I'm going to spend some money, what's the most effective thing that I could do? I would say get a hemoglobin A1C. It'll give you I me mean, a three-month measure of your blood sugar, and it costs like five bucks. So then the, everybody in the planet should do that because then um, I would get everybody in the planet to then begin to uh, regulate and modulate blood sugar. And... And this could be a billion people on the Indian subcontinent in like 10 years that have type have diabetes. And so this could be worse in the Middle East. And so then this, we, we have a, an exponential growth of these problems. And so that at a, at a low cost sort of thoughtful strategy, we're, we're going to start to manage these things, um, which would be kind of like from the ground up. Uh, now, then you say, what about what and so from a longevity perspective what about how do we think about screening the 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 thing that you mentioned is a cancer screen and so the cancer screen is a uh a much more expensive screening that people are now beginning to go out and do and so uh for cancer screening one we do something called a liquid biopsy uh, uh, from a, uh, a company called Grail, but there's a couple of different ones that we use that will screen for like 50 cancers and you can look to see if there's cancer stem cells in your blood. To me, that totally makes sense and I do that for all of our patients. We do that screening. We also will do a, a whole body MRI for a lot of people. That whole body MRI is a screening MRI. It's not like a perfect MRI, like the quality of MRI that you would get on your shoulder if you tore your rotator cuff. It's a little bit of a screening, but then as they're screen, then what they do is um, they they will look in all of the obvious areas for cancer. And so 
we've been doing this for a couple of years, and I'm using Prenuvo as part of a clinical trial uh, that we're um, we're doing for um, FSHD, which is a form of muscular dystrophy, um, to look at uh, the amount of uh, fat and muscles and the muscle and the uh, infl- inflammation of muscles, and it's something that happens all over the body. Um, and so we track myositis. And, um, and, and so we're using that. And so we use, we use Prenuvo both on, um, uh, on the injection side of things and then, uh, and then also as a screening, we've had two people, uh, in our practice that, uh, got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, uh, found it out of the blue. It was early and had total resections and are fine. Wow. I'm assuming there were, were, were there any signs? No signs. And so then that's, you, you say, oh, okay, but that's kind of a miracle. You know what I mean? Because that was, uh, how many people are you going to need to do to, to find that? You know, quite a few probably. And so, you know, I think that the screening part is early. Um, and then the, from a longevity perspective, uh, you, you know, you're thinking about um, the, 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 the simple metabolic stuff that you can you can fix ground up like blood sugar you're thinking about the chaotic big problems like heart uh neurovascular neurological immune and then in the middle you've got optimizing the body because um what i have found and that's one of the other reasons we do the pre-novo as a screening and then as a screening, I do an ultrasound where I look at every joint and every nerve in the body. And then basically what I'll tell you is in my, for, for me and me, I'm an injection doctor, so I, I'm biased. But for me, that's the most important thing because what happens is, is you, in our lives, you know, you see people the i have millions of friends that love us that are casually interested in us in their 30s and early 40s people find us when they're 54 and they're super interested in us because all of a sudden the body is starting to break down 64 65 those problems if you don't fix those those musculoskeletal problems start to compound and then in your 70s it's two or three problems that you can't fix it's almost like you 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 they go off a cliff because all of a sudden they can't work out they can't move they can't um do things and so then all of a sudden they lose all of the health benefits of movement and if you lose those health benefits of movement i think that has more of a anti-longevity effect than anything else and so then our philosophy is aggressively treating the body and optimizing it and then in in parallel to that paying attention to the screening stuff because over time that's exponentially getting better and then doing everything that we can do around that but then we focus on the body as uh, along with kind of a total wellness approach to everything so before we Come to come back to the peptides. How does one know in their say twenties, thirties, forties that they're doing okay here? And what are the things they can do besides injections from a lifestyle perspective to ensure they're they're thriving in terms of their body and how they move? 
that is like the million dollar question. And, uh, and I would say part of that is just find somebody that's thoughtful that you can talk to that it can, can think about you broadly and, and try to understand who you are and what you're up to. Um, I would recommend going through uh, at a relatively young age, a, a broad, call it Mark Hyman style functional medicine, you know, uh, uh, assessment. And he actually um, did something. He's got, I'll give you a plug. He's uh, got a, a company and I'm on the advisory board for them uh, called Function, like think functional medicine. And then basically he took all of his lab tests and he's a genius at basically looking at lab tests and then going, oh, okay, that pattern is, is, is classically associated with, let's say, mole, or that pattern is associated with autoimmune disease. And, and so, at a, and, and they're relatively low cost. Um, and as a 1.0 strategy, getting some functional medicine testing, get some testing of your gut, uh, look at your microbiome, uh, and then, you know, spend, do, do all, and then, and then do all of the low cost stuff figure out what your fitness is, maybe check your VO2 max, see what your blood sugars are, and uh, do some light cancer screening. And so put that together in sort of a, 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 a rubric that would make sense to you. And then what's going to happen is, is that's going to give you a bunch of data that you can respond to. And so then my, uh, they say, uh, we are, we're in Silicon Valley. They say he, who, he or she who has, uh, or they who have the most data win. <laughs> and so then now what we're doing is gathering a little data and then tracking and trending. And then what I have found is, is that uh, the better, the, the more that I begin to pay attention to that, then that's just like driving. And I'm just kind of navigating towards fairly optimal biology easily. Right. I'm actually, I'm due for my 28 vials of blood. I see Dr. Frank Lippman uh, tomorrow. We'll see how I do. I do it twice a year. And I encourage everyone to to get some basic blood work and basic genetic testing and the stool testing I've done, Genova, just to get based on understanding. Um, but I, you mentioned VO2 max. And I think that, that one I hear more and more about to accept, assess one's cardiovascular fitness can you talk a little bit more about VO2 max? And I promise we'll get to the peptides. We, I, honestly, we talk about anything you want. I'm, I'm uh, happy to talk about anything. And really, all of it is interesting as, and it's anything else. If we're going to use our body, we want to be able to use it efficiently. And so then one thing is just to say, let's track what our, uh, how efficiently and how well and how our body uses oxygen when we're exercising. And so then they, they put a, a mask on you and, and then uh, the, we measure uh, uh, lactate and, and then ha have you do a workout. You can do it on an exercise bike. You can do it on a treadmill. You can do it running. Um, and um, uh, there's, a, there's a company in Northern California that's a, kind of a, 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 tech, a bunch of tech kind of people called the Perion, and that's where I send people for my VO2 max, and they're super amazing at it, they're like the best people I've ever seen at it. And so then the, I use that a little bit as a, as a baseline to see where people are. And then what 
that and that goes back to just giving me a little data. And so then if that is if your VO2 max is low, because I can compare it to a norm of what it should be for your age, then I'm going to have you do a little cardio and work on that. Also, if your VO2 max is really good, that is functionally kind of like passing a stress test. And so it tells me, oh, okay, cardiovascular, they talk about the horsemen, the four horsemen, the cardiovascularly, the the thing that kills most people is heart disease. Disease. And so essentially for pe- folks to understand, this is a cardiovascular test. You're getting on like a treadmill or bike and you push to you can't push anymore and then you get a score, essentially. Inexpensive, expensive tests anyone can access? The motif of the clinic that I, I told you is a high-end mo- clinic. And so uh, at Aperion, but they're better at it than anyone that I've ever seen, but it's relatively inexpensive tests. So we're going to come back to, to peptides and I'm going to start with probably the, the one that is the most controversial, the, the one that is most in the news, and that is semaglutide, uh, also known as Ozempic. And b- before I get your opinion on this, I'm just going to read. I, I, I found this interesting when I stumbled upon the, the website that listed all the side effects, which include inflammation of the pancreas, change in vision, low blood sugar, kidney problems, kidney failure, serious allergic reaction, gallbladder problems, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, stomach constipation, and so forth. But there's a, a promise of weight loss here. And also, I thought it was interesting. I we're talking about this before the show. I uh, recently listened to Peter Atia talk about this. I believe it was on Megan Kelly's show where he did DEXA scans on his patients, which he pointed out the FDA did not do in the trial pre and post semaglutide. And that he found that the weight loss, two thirds of the weight loss was lean mass and a third of the weight loss was fat mass. So essentially people were getting lighter, but also fatter and becoming, maybe they're wearing smaller jeans, but less healthy and the other thing he found which i thought was interesting is he tracked he said he tracks all of his patients heart rate overnight and he's been doing so over the past three years and found that those on this drug their resting heart rate was going up eight to twelve beats per minute which is not good for longevity you want a low resting heart rate and a lot of what we also don't know is what happens when you stop taking this thing uh, we presume you gain back the weight, but I'll pause there because I think that I'm, I'm presenting the <laughs> some of the risks here and some of the downsides. But again, it's it's nuanced and it's developing. I want to get your take, but I just wanted to start there. Okay, that's a good one. So then, obviously, like Peter Atia is like one of the greatest doctors in the world, and so he's a high level, super thoughtful person. I don't know him personally, but he's his reputation precedes himself, and he's a great doctor. Interestingly, and that's a good one, a lot of times the 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 stuff that I do is stem cells and and sort of the at the high end of sort of integrative and world that that a lot of times the doctors at Stanford and UCSF are not doing. I came from UCSF. Um, the um, it turns out uh, Ozempic is branded and a, a thing 90% of the use of the Zempic historically at least has been by endocrinologists and diabetes doctors that are using it to manage uh, patients in, in very traditional settings. 
And so this is a sort of a more of a traditional pharma type of drug that is used broadly in straight medical industrial complex Western healthcare type of clinics. It has a host of benefits that uh, it it sort of helps with insulin sensitivity, um, helps uh, with blood sugar, and as a result, it's uh, fairly helpful for a lot of people with diabetes. Um, and uh, it it will have some benefits uh, vascularly, and so that, that may have a, a cardiovascular benefit in terms of uh, um, uh, regulating the the cells that line the inside of the blood vessels, the endothelial cells, and um, there may be less heart attack and stroke uh, uh, for people with uh, high blood sugar who are taking it. So um, uh, that's a good one. Uh, however, uh, it can cause a little bit of nausea and it will definitely make you eat less. And people were like, oh, did you say it makes you eat less? And so then suddenly it kind of came onto the scene as a, a weight loss molecule. Now, the pop goes back to we're having kind of like this blood sugar conversation. Having high blood sugar is so catastrophically bad for your health that uh, you could do something that has a moderate amount of negative side effects and still it would be an overwhelming win because you're helping something that creates so much difficulty in our bodies over time. And so then that's that. So then break apart some of those side effects. The When you don't eat and you don't get enough nutrition, then you will start to lose lose weight. And so you can, some of that is fat loss and some of that is muscle loss. Um, by comparison, what I'll tell you is I spent the first half of my life running surgery centers and I was actually for a oh, time only because they forced me to do it because I was like a young person. Uh, I was a medical director for the weight loss surgery program at, at Good Sam. And so, and then we would do bariatric surgery where they would cut your intestines to make you eat less. Um, I always tell people I spent the first half of my life putting people to sleep and doing surgery, and I'm spending the second half of my life waking them up and, and preventing surgery. The crazy thing about that is that population, you see those people 10 years out, and you will see chaotic problems of muscle loss. They can't, they don't have any nutrients and they don't have a way, they can't go reverse the fact that they haven't had any nutrition for 10 years. And so on the surgical side and then on many sides of weight loss, there are overwhelmingly bad problems that happen from the malnutrition. That being said, you know, I, I have a lot of people who will microdose semi-glutide. I have a lot of people who will get a benefit of eating less. And they will, um, uh, uh, instead of doing it once a week, they'll do it every 10 days. Or uh, the, uh, they'll do it one week on a Wednesday at a full dose, and they'll eat less over that weekend. And then the following week, they'll do a half dose and eat a little bit more normal. So there's a, a lot of ways to sort of begin to manage that. Um, cardiovascularly, a little increase in heart rate um, is a little bit suboptimal, but compare that to the, the real people with coronary artery disease risk, then you're lowering their risk. And so then basically, it's not a cure-all. 
it's not um, uh, it, it's not the the only solution, but it's a but one thing that I, and what I do is I say if you want to do this, and I'm not a person that's marketing trying to get people to come to talk to me about this, but uh, educationally, what I would say is I tell people. I'm going to teach you how to eat totally moderately like we do. And me and Barb, uh, happy birthday, Barb. It's Barb's birthday. Me and, me and Barb used to always go to San Francisco. And a lot of times we would go have two dinners. Like we, we're, I'm like a hobbit, like a second, a second dinner. And so then now we eat so perfectly and moderately. And so we're just, and what I found is once you sort of overcome the conditioning of eating too much, and you learn how to do it. And so then I just think of semi-glutide as this tool that you use, cycle on and off. And then I combine that with other things. And then next thing you know, you're fine. And, and look, the, the way I'm thinking about this, I, I want to be empathetic. There are a lot of people who are, are, are obese and have really struggled with their weight and have tried everything and nothing works. And this is possibly a tool. With that said, it's not for everybody. And, you know, another side effect, I think I forgot was thyroid cancer, cancer, they're like, serious, serious side effects. And I think the other thing, big picture, you know, as you mentioned, metabolic health, metabolic syndrome, weight's a component. But there's a difference between health, you know, healthy lean mass versus fat mass. And there's skinny fat. We've talked about this before. Mark talks a lot, Hyman talks a lot about this. And so just because you're skinny, just because you're, you weigh less on the scale does not necessarily mean you are more metabolically fit. You could be, in fact, heavier or quote unquote fatter, but be in much better metabolic health than someone who weighs less. And I think our cultural obsession with weight you know, we need to distinguish between lean muscle mass and and fat, obviously. And I think that's something, it's not good. I don't think anyone thinks it's a good idea to, to lose lean muscle, more lean muscle mass than body fat. And then, you know, there's a bunch of cool biohacking things. We, we have an M-Sculpt machine. And so it's basically like these gigantic, they look like defibrillator pads, but they it causes you to do a super hardcore electrical contraction and then it runs a radio frequency high temperature and and so you can lose fat a little bit that way but then there's two types i always say that's a good one there's there's two types of, of um uh patients and then there's two types of doctors there's one patient that's hoping that you're going to tell them guess what i figured everything out and you're never going to have to work out the rest of your life and and there's a, the doctors that kind of go along with that and then there's another patient that's hoping that I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to work out Jason every day for the rest of your life. And I'm going to support you in that. And then that's going to be our journey. And then that is the side of the equation that we're on. And so then what we're, we're thinking about peptides and injections and diet and lifestyle and biohacking and, and, and nutrition from that perspective from the perspective that we are doing all of this to facilitate an exercise algorithm that has incredible benefits and that through the totality of all of that, we will use that to optimize the body and kind of manage things. And then that's longevity. So anecdotally, you know, I hear a lot of 
people taking this specific pharmaceutical maybe lose a couple pounds. They want to look good for a, a wedding or an event, but they're, they're really not obese. This has just become a, I've got maybe five to 10 to 20 pounds to lose and I don't want to work out as much or I don't want to change how I eat. That, that unfortunately, I think is a use case. With that said, in your, in your view, who is this really for? Who, who can really benefit and, and who probably shouldn't consider taking this one? The semiglutide, it's a tool that's a reasonable tool to try. For people who are struggling with weight, who, who have cardiovascular and uh, metabolic, let's say, type 2 diabetes, uh, that population is going to do really well, basically based on the data. Um, the, um, and so then that's, and, and so this, the deck's going to be stacked in terms of helping them in their favor. For people who want to lose a little bit of weight, I think it's an off-label thing that's intriguing to try that I would think about trying. I would think about cycling on and off, and I would think about using it as a tool to help uh, getting in touch psychologically with food. Because what I, what I think happens is a lot of times we have a little bit of anxiety and then in the anxiety and stress, if you eat and put some calories in, it, the blood rushes away from your brain. You get a little, if you have a little leaky gut, you get a little bit of fight or flight kind of stimulus. We feel better and it helps our anxiety. And so then a lot of people that are overeating are overeating because they're using, um, you're, they're using food as a tool to help their anxiety. Now, what a lot of my friends that have actually, uh, uh, I didn't suggest it to them. They came to me and had me write it for them. Um, but then they tell me, you know what? I don't feel that anxiety of, around food anymore. And then as a result, that allowed me to get more present to just connecting and being kind of like this. And in connecting and then realizing that there's a way out of the anxiety around food. A lot of them also said that that got them to and out of the anxiety around alcohol. And so then within, within that, if you can, if you can get to that sweet spot and then get through that, then basically you're free. What I, this is my philosophy, but I, I've, it's born out for me in my life Everything that I sort of overcome, I just, it's like, oh, it's almost like a switch that you got, you got, you got, oh, okay, I'm not overeating anymore. And so then these are tools that are not lifelong permanent tools. These are just tr tools that give you some training wheels to sort of regulate your biology. Bridge. It's a bridge. Bridge. And, and you know, look, my, my view is evolved. You know, supplements, for example, like I love supplements. Supplements is, is a business of ours. And, and I, you know, I would argue my, um, our, our methylation support product, like saved me from my, my homocysteine. My listeners are sick of me telling this story. It was 63. I got it to 10 through supplements. Like unbelievable. Every doctor, when I'd say 63, I remember when I first told Mark, he was like, what? <laughs> um, and so, but my view is <clears throat> I, you always want to be minimizing. At least that's how I, I found myself about a year ago, all of a sudden I was taking 20 capsules a day and I'm like, wait, what am I doing? What can I get off of? And so I started to, you know, cycle on and off and try to minimize because I think you never want to be, whether it's a supplement or a pharmaceutical or any sort of treatment, you kind of want to 
minimize if you can. Uh, so to, to just close the, the loop on this one. So it sounds like those at risk for serious cardiovascular disease, diabetes, uh, ozempic could be, or semaglutide more broadly is a solution for those who really struggled with weight and, and also think about it as a bridge. Microdosing sounds like it's, it's a lot more reasonable approach. Yeah, that'd be, that would be great. And, and then remember, because I am aware of all the other peptides, this is just something that like, you know, all of a sudden, everybody that we know wanted to start talking about. We're, we're early in this experiment. And what's going to happen is it next time I talk to you, I'll know like 14 more things because we learn very, very fast. And so this is this is one of those things where like, it, you know, 19 people call me and tell me something about something interesting every couple of days. And so then we will, we will figure this out. It's, and, and so then, but I like how you framed that. I love how you framed that. Well, I, I'm sure it won't be the, the last time we talk about this subject on the show and it, it, we'll definitely have you back. We'll pencil it in a year from now. to, to So we'll come back to the other peptides in terms of, and there's, you know, you mentioned hormones, gastrointestinal, immune, you know, joint support, pain management of that bucket. What do most people come see you for? It depends on what they came to see me for in the first place. And so then there's a, there's a, a lot of people that came to see me for, let's say pain. And, and so then the, um, and then some people will come to see us for immune problems and some people for neurological problems and some with gastrointestinal problems those, and sports medicine problems and joint stuff. And so then the biggest category that I personally am involved in is musculoskeletal and joint and sports medicine stuff. But then everybody that I then am working at that level with has one or two or three of the other things. And so then we're sort of, you know, while I'm working on your shoulder, basically, is an opportunity to, for me to kind of check in and, oh, how's it going? How's it going with gut health? What, how's it going with immune? Um, and then th this is, I'll tell you this one. And sometimes the story is useful as a, as a, as a way to understand things. And, and what I do is it's like I'm building with Legos, my, my sort of worldview of, 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 of our, our consciousness and our understanding of biology. Um, but, and this is a little story as a digression, but then I'll kind of go into it. You, you, and I did this as a joke with some friends this weekend. So the, um, you, you know, that we use stem cells to treat joints, right? Now, how do you know what kind of stem, what kind of cell stem cells are? How about you give us a primer on stem cells? Cause we haven't gone deep on this one for all, for all the reasons. You know. At a high level, stem cells are kind of immune cells. And so they're, they're part, stem cells are a little mobile pharmacy that are going around and they have immune benefits. Okay. Now, one thing that can kind of derail us, and then this is just a, a, another thing that I have found, and that is, is that people who have a lot of immune problems tend to have a lot of pain. 
And that's because there are immune receptors on our nerves. And when our immune system goes sideways, then um, it can cause inflammation either in joints or in pain. And so then we will take immune things like a stem cell and put it into a joint as a strategy of regulating the immune inflammation there. And you could almost say teleologically, and, 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 and we were designed this way, we tweak ourselves, we get inflammation, that inflammation is a signal for immune cells to kind of go in there and then turn that inflammation off and regulate it. And so the, um, so the immune system is how we heal pain. It's how we heal orthopedic problems. It's how we, we use the immune system to work at every level in the body. Now, um, the, uh, it turns out the best pain peptides are the immune peptides. <laughs> And so the, and that's because the immune peptides regulate the immune system wherever you inject them. And so if you, if you have pain in your elbow and you inject kind of by your elbow, it'll, it'll help in an area around the elbow, but it will also have some systemic benefits. Um, and so then for, for pain, um, and to, to give you a quick answer for pain, there's a, we like BPC-157, which is actually sort of more of a gut peptide. And then we like, there's a fragment of uh, thymus and beta-4 called TB-500 or thymus and beta-4, 17 to 23. And that combination is our best sort of pain peptide. Uh, often people will say, hey, I'd like to regulate my, my, my hormonal system. And so people will take a growth hormone peptide. Often, uh, if people have a little bit of pain and then we're talking, we find out they probably got some, everybody's got some gastrointestinal problems. So people will like BPC-157 is kind of another one of those ones, kind of a hybrid. It'll help for the gut and it'll help for pain. Um, and, uh, and I would say those are common things that just about everybody is a little bit curious of. And, and, you know, in the old days, we only had one way to regulate anything. And it was like a cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, that was our, uh, now we, we have suddenly these tools that can regulate pain, that can regulate our gastrointestinal system. And so then we're using basically sort of a functional medicine thought process and then picking sort of a diversity of these. And then what I like to do is I like to, actually um, have people cycle through the year where they get to try a diversity of these. And then we're teaching people how to use them, how to dose them, and then how to become familiar so that they can begin to control their own journey. Well, it makes a lot of sense if you think about autoimmune in general. You know, you think of weak, weak gastro or, or weak, weak gut microbiome immune system and then there's joint pain for a lot of autoimmune disease the three are interconnected it's amazing this is just going to be a thing where you're going to find more and more evidence in the next five or ten years of the huge association um between um, um joint problems and gastrointestinal sort of autoimmunity 
I was a, a friend of mine's a, a doc that um, did a, a, a board review course. And so I just went to the board review course to spend, to hang out with her. Um, uh, and it was all on autoimmune issues. And the entire, uh, the entire course was about the microbiome. <laughs> and it was, it was how, how important it is to, to regulate gut health to prevent inflammatory arthritis, you know, rheumatoid arthritis on all of, all, all of those things. On the subject of the microbiome, in terms of lifestyle, if, if we feel generally pretty good, you know, if we're mobile, if we're, you know, have regular stools and we're, we're active and eating relatively healthy, no joint pain, like we're, we're just kind of, you know, we're, we're feeling good. What are the things from a lifestyle perspective in terms of diet, I'm curious to, to optimize our microbiome? Sounds like all anything special you've seen? Oh, so, so then that's a good one. So then in the gut, in the gut, the small intestine is sterile. And then the large intestine has more bacteria and yeast in it than there are stars in the sky. It's kind of a good one to think about. So um, the, the first thing that we do is I just kind of check and make sure, oh, do you have gas and bloating or any problems when you have sugar or probiotics or prebiotics? Because if you, if you struggle with that, you could have bacteria or yeast and there could be hydrogen bacteria, methane bacteria, or yeast living in your small intestine. And then the, those people will be super triggered by everything that I'm about to say. And so I just do a real quick check. And it's kind of useful for me to do that even here. Because then you go, if that's the case, then what I do is I do a SIBO breath test. Now, if you think... If we just went and talked to a bunch of our friends that our mutual friends that we know, what were the most popular things over the last 20 years? The Candida diet. Why is that? Because what happens is a large percentage of people have some yeast and bacteria that starts to grow a little bit in the small intestine. And I think that's another problem that's a little bit like on the spectrum. And so then when you have that, then if you start to do fermentation in the small intestine, it bloats the small intestine, leads to leaky gut. And then the body goes, uh-oh, it puts visceral fat around the intestines, which becomes inflammatory and leads to metabolic sy syndrome. So this ties back to our whole thing. When do you get that? When you go to college and you start drinking beer. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so then why is that? Because you're putting yeast and sugar in your small intestine. And so then you're driving yeast. And so then suddenly a idea avoiding fruit probably is not a good idea, but broadly it turns out to be an amazing idea if you're trying to decrease the effects of the bacteria and yeast in the small intestine. Anything with sugar or fructose you would want to avoid. So then 1.0, I just make sure that they don't have that. And then, uh, and then assuming that they don't, then, you, you know, the, the ingredients is, is to get some prebiotics and some probiotics that are just going to help either make the bacteria that you have a little bit healthier in there 
so you're going to feed them. You're going to put a diversity of different probiotics in. And so then I use, um, uh, I, I use some spore-based probiotics. I use some actual probiotics. I use like four, four or five different ones, and I'm kind of always cycling through those. Um, we uh, are really big on the idea that uh, oxalates tend to be a problem. Some foods have oxalates, and what happens is, is oxalates um, get absorbed in, and they're a salt, and so they get absorbed into your um, intestines, and then they crystallize out. So they can crystallize out in blood vessels uh, around uh, your valves, and then in joints. And um, so then w- I tell people avoid spinach and avoid Swiss chard. Those are the big ones. You're talking to someone who had a kidney stone in their late twenties. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think a lot of alcohol and dehydration also played a role. If I were to. Yeah. Good times. No, those are, that's that's great times. But then that's a disaster. And so then, um, and we used to do kidney stone surgeries in my old surgery center. And so I'm all about preventing that. So so then, uh, and interestingly, for people who are susceptible to that, there's some probiotics that you could take that will help um, limit that. And then there's also, um, if you take calcium, it'll bind onto the oxalates in your gut and keep them in there. So there's a whole, whole but the, the oxalate conversation is kind of a tricky one to navigate. The, and, but those are two important things. Once you get past that, then for me on the diet front, I've done it all personally. And so then, you know, ke- I don't need to do keto. I, I like keto and it's okay and I've done it. Um, we've done a lot of intermittent fasting over the years. Um, and, uh, and so I've done a lot of intermittent fasting where we would intermittent fast till noon and then eat in a time restri- restricted window. I encourage people to try that and experience what it's like and, and, and try that. I spent y- several years where I would fast like one day a week, sometimes two days a week. The one day a week fast is kind of amazing because it, it, it teaches you to, you just totally overcome your um, food issues because psychologically you're feeling normal and then you kind of go crazy and then it comes back to normal. And then once you kind of go through the fasting and get used to that, then you're basically steady from a food perspective. Like if you said, I can't eat anymore today, I'd be fine. So then that one's an interesting one. What do we eat? You know, it's kind of cultural. Um, and and philosophical and and where did you come from? I'm 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 a, a hippie redneck from Montana, and so then, you know, uh, I eat um, a fairly Mediterranean diet with a lot of uh, elk and and deer and and wild meat and um, organic buffalo. So can you can you just talk a minute about? the wild meat versus the conventional, like not the conventional, but the cow. So like elk, buffalo, bison versus cow, if one's going to have red meat. Can we, I don't think we've, can you talk about the, why it's beneficial to go with the wild versus the, the wild meat rather than the, the cow? So w- one thing I'll tell you, when you, when you, when you eat that wild animal, you can taste the grass that they were eating. 
you taste how much sagebrush they were eating. You taste, you know, the, you eat a, a buffalo from Alaska that was eating a lot of grass because it's so lush and green there. And the, the fat is like bright yellow, <laughs> you know. And so then um, uh, what I would say is nutritionally, they're going to be more nutritious. The, the, uh, there's going to be more healthy fat in those animals. Um, uh, uh, we, you know, I, I would, we gotten to this point with cattle farming where there's your, your factory farming. And so a lot of those animals are given antibiotics. Well, forget about the factory. If you just took like a grass fed cow versus grass fed elk or if, if you eat a grass-fed elk, you're, you're just going to go, I mean, wild, you're going to go, okay, that's the best thing that I've ever eaten in my entire life. And then you're going to, you eat, and let's say you love organic beef, and then you eat elk, and you're going to go, oh my God, that that meat, the, the grass, grass-fed cow tastes bland by comparison. So... But and I think it's going to be healthier. But and, and this is this is a, I didn't even know we were going to talk about this, but it's a relatively controversial topic. Neither did I. <laughs> no, but guess, guess what? So it's kind of amazing because Barb is a vegetarian, but she eats fish. And then I will get her to eat a little bit of a like buffalo liver to for you know. And one of my partners is vegan, so you know we. we I, I play in this world through a huge diversity of cultural and religious perspectives on, on all of this stuff. But um, I, just my personal experience by far, like I would, we, we hate to go out to eat now because we eat so much better than any restaurant that I've ever been to. <laughs> well, there's, there's great ones in Coconut Grove. You have, next time you're in uh, South Florida, we'll take you out. To, we'll take you out to Cruise Kitchen and Los Felix. They, uh, that's where we went with Archie and Carolina. So, oh, really? Oh, they're the best. So, and the reason I asked was th- there's my limited understanding is if you look at bison, elk, venison, and assuming 100% grass fed, all things equal, that those th- there's more nutritional benefit than grass fed beef in terms of amino acid profile, healthier fat, and so on. Uh, so let's go back to this. You know, you mentioned Moore's law. Where, where are we going to be in two years? If, if we're, we're, we're in the stage of advancement, we're, you know, we're, we're talking now in June 23, what are we going to be talking about in 25? People are going to be more aware about the body. People are going to be progressively more aware about the body. Conversations like this, people are going to, the, the, Academic institutions are going to begin to buy into doing more PRP for injections. People are, um, I, when, it, when in it, it in broad brushstrokes of the, even the surgeons that are, I know that were in my life, they didn't want to talk to me at all about anything that I do, but their wives all did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, now everybody's totally into it. So at a consciousness level, our whole world has, is opening up to, okay, what can we do? How can we regulate it? How can we manage? And then, and then in parallel to that, we have podcasts and we have an exponential increase in our ability to share information. 
And so then what happens is an idea comes out and then 50 people start doing it and then that works. And there's another idea and 50 people do it and suddenly you go, oh, that didn't work or that had problems. And so then we are uh, as a health care as, as, as the subsect of, of our society that's involved in healthcare is learning exponentially faster than we've done before. And that's probably part of the Moore's law of healthcare. Um, the, um, so, so for me, one thing is going to be the body. Number two is depending how things go at a regulatory level, things like, you know, semi-glutide is like one tool. And so then suddenly, I think people will become progressively more aware that they have a, a whole bunch of tools with peptides that they can begin to use to re regulate their biology. And, um, and then what I think is going to happen, where we're going to be in two years is people will begin to start to take more and more control. And then as that happens, that's going to have regulatory benefits because, you know, somebody told me, they said, they're never going to take away hormones. And I go, oh, why is that? And they go, there's a lot of people in Congress on hormones, and they're not going to let you take those away. And so then in a way, uh, one of my little things is we just need to do regenerative medicine for every single person in Congress. And then they really are going to realize, oh, that's probably better than a steroid injection in my joint. And, so, and, then, and then we're going to, uh, hopefully will evolve in terms at, at a regulatory level of, of being more open to the integrative side of um, sports medicine. So in terms of all the tools, modalities, practices we now have at our disposal, and there are quite a many to choose from, what, what do you think is overrated? And what do you think is underrated? Everything is overrated and everything is underrated. Every, the, you know, the, the overrated is every tool in the hands of marketing people is overrated. <laughs> um, and then, uh, uh, but once you really begin to understand that tool and, and use that tool in an amazing way, you realize, oh, that tool is way better than I thought that it was. And so it's underrated. And so to give you sort of a highlight, you know, the one thing that <clears throat> we do with the peptides and stuff that, like that you're going to do at home to increase your growth hormone levels or regula regulate you know, aspects of your biology. The other thing that we do is we, we're looking through pre-novo and looking at all your joints and looking at all your muscles and looking at all your nerves and then sort of building a total model of all of that. And then you say, well, what do we do? I use the ultrasound guided injections and I'll inject around the nerve that goes to a joint. I'll inject around a nerve that goes to a, a muscle area I'll inject in the muscle by the central tendon of the muscle and the fascia around the ligaments and tendons kind of down by the joints and then into the joint and even into the bone marrow and around the arteries. So then uh, that's the totality of sort of what we do. How do we do it? We kind of have this model of assessment. And then you say, what do we use? Everything that can be used from stem cells to peptides but one of the most underrated, and this is my answer to the underrated, the most underrated thing is plasma. And so we can take blood out of your body, spin it, and get plasma. Now, what's happening right now is, is my heart's beating and sending blood that has plasma to my muscles and my arm. 
and then the the it, that pla- there's growth factors and stuff like that that are in the plasma that are diffusing out into the muscle through the capillaries to go there. Well, what we do is we take and spin and take the blood, the red blood cells away and take that plasma and put, we'll use plasma for hydrodissection into muscles and around muscles and in those areas. Um, and so then uh, we do, you'll be a little sore compared to like uh, some of the other regenerative solutions, but it's much lower cost. And so that's why I say, yeah, over the next 10 years, people, I predict, will do more and more plasma because this low cost is something you can, in, in, on an iterative basis, do. And so then my, uh, my philosophy is that um, in two years, more and more people will begin to realize that ideally, they are going to want to have plasma or other growth factors regularly injected into their joints, into their muscles, into their nerves to maintain them at the health and age that they are at and that we will be able to sustain and maintain their body at that age. And then everything else that we're talking about is just window dressing around that, that concept. You mentioned the plasma. I had to get a, a bad root canal pulled a year ago. It was a six-month process, and they pulled pulled the root out. And one of the things they used was the the, the plasma. And this this was a rather, I would say, conventional dentist. I skewed skewed slightly holistic, but used used the plasma once they extracted the the root. Yeah. So then, what happens is is there's a. Uh, Plasma has cells in it. What are those cells? Immune cells. And so then there's also platelets. And so then they may have concentrated the platelets and then injected PRP there. Um, the, it, it may be that there's, you're less likely to have an infection afterwards with that. Uh, they will add that now to surgeries. And so if you're going to get a rotator cuff, a lot of times they'll put some PRP in that tear. Um, however, a lot of times if you have a, a grade one or two tear, uh, you're probably going to do better if you get, uh, somebody to inject PRP than to actually have the surgery. And so then we will see progressively more and more of that type of stuff. And the, the dental, uh, community has been fairly significantly embracing of a lot of the stuff that we do. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool. I've actually gone to dental meeting. Interesting. So is there one thing that you think everyone can benefit from no matter where they are in their, in their health journey? Exercise. <laughs> any, spe- any specific kind or? Well, I think probably a little bit of a hybrid of uh, strength training and and um, and cardiovascular training, and so uh, doing a little bit of both. Um, at a but but and and so then what? Um, everything that we do is then to facilitate that. So, for example, a lot of times people will have pain when they exercise. That may be because they've got a, um, uh, 
a, a tear in their muscle or they've got fatty infiltration in their muscle or they've got a nerve impingement that goes to that muscle. So we do hydrodissection of the nerve. We inject into the muscle. So we're doing all of the stuff that we do to get that muscle working. Turns out the side of, you know what the side effect of putting plasma in your muscles is? Hypertrophy. So you get a little hypertrophy. And so then, uh, and then. Which is what you want. You want that. You want to be a little bit bigger, uh, a little bit bigger, stronger, faster. And then as a result of that, that allows us to be functional in our, our movements. And so then I would say for me, it's almost like, uh, you know, three or four groups. Then if you think about then movement. So then what are our movement philosophies and groups that we're dealing with? Probably a, a real component is going to be the pro athletes. And so then they're just going through a car accident every weekend. And, 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 so, and so then we're kind of putting them together and then trying to maintain, but they tend to be super great healers. There's everybody on us on the, on the weekend warrior front that is doing a combination of some cardiovascular and strength training and, and, and high end movement stuff. And, you know, we were influenced by Pavel, like I did the RKC. Um, and so then interest, very interested in, in, in the strength and conditioning side of it, and then very interested in kind of the yoga side of it. And so then imagine, when you when you're doing yoga you're constantly twerking and stretching your joints if you're not aware of what you're doing you can injure those and so then probably a significant part of the, my life is going to be about how to inject around all of those nerves tendons fascia of the joints and muscles that we use for sitting and then once you be able to put all of that together into one piece now you're doing some intense uh, anaerobic activities, some strength and conditioning, some some introspective kind of sitting m- movement approaches, and then putting all of that together. And then everything that we do is just basically designed to support that act, that the diversity of all of that movement. So our mutual friend Michael Bronner would probably say it sounds like TV12. Oh, so then, you, you know, they are the greatest, they are the greatest. And then, you know, I, when I met Alex, you know, and I started talking to him, Alex Guerrero, I, I realized, okay, well, we, we agree 100% on everything um, body wise. And interestingly, you know, they did that. That's kind, it's kind of a clinical trial, what Alex did with Tom which is, you know, take care of him for all of those years. And then he had better longevity than really any quarterback in history. And so then that gives you a little bit of a insight. That's like a little uh, end of one clinical trial for me that is just looking from the outside of, of what they did and then realizing, oh, okay, that was a touchdown. I mean, that was the absolute home run of what they did. And so then you say, in a way, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to apply those principles and then not just in the arc of a 20-year football career or 25-year football career, but in the arc of maybe 125-year life, 
And so then now, and it's like, I, I texted him this weekend. I was like, oh, I have some friends in this one state. Who, who do we have? And so then imagine that, that realistically, we should all be treating ourselves like Tom Brady treated himself as a football player. Just project manage all of this stuff into your life. Get super dialed in. And, and then now you're just managing that over time. It's interesting. We haven't had Alex on this show. I should probably get him. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. And he does have a great case study in Tom, for sure. So is there anything uh, we didn't touch on that you would like to touch on? And where can people find you? So um, we're at bioreset.com. And the one thing we didn't touch on is, is that the, in, in parallel to everything that I've said, then and and so the one thing because we were going to talk about injections and we can kind of go deeper into that but remember i said there's these these injections you can do at home there's these injections that we do in this in the uh the clinic in in the united states and and a big part of that uh is me looking for low cost amazing solutions that everybody could benefit from uh, that are fairly approachable. And so then that's like me doing plasma injections all over the body. But then uh, uh, one of the things that we do outside of the United States is a lot of work with stem cells and a lot of work with regenerative medicine stuff that you can do IV. And so then, you know, out of the States, we're looking at exosomes and peptides and, um, uh, and stem cells that you can put IV that float around in the body and they float around and look for that inflammation to regulate and optimize that. Um, and so then, you know, that will, that's something that has gotten a lot of PR from sort of some health influencers in, in the last couple of years and is something that we've been doing for 10 years. And so then that will, will, exponentially grow in terms of how much interest there is in that and then how helpful that is because all of those things regulate the immune system and if you regulate the immune system it helps regulate pain and so but and uh, it's a funny story i gotta tell you this i remember like vividly vividly i remember the one of the attendings goes the attending i was at ucsf and one of the attendings goes, hey, um, you, you need to go to the auditorium right now. There's going to be an amazing lecture. And we kind of figured it out. And this is going to be so amazing. And this is going to impact the next 15 years of your life. And I go, I remember I was like so excited. And so then there was like, it's, you know, seven or eight anesthesiologists. And so we all go down there and it, it's the year 2000 and they go down and they go, listen, we're here. We're going to give you a lecture. It's, it's called pain is the fifth vital sign. And we need to pay attention to pain and regulate that because if we regulate that, people are going to do healthier and do better. And so then all we had to regulate pain at that point was opioids. Yeah, it was like, was this the Sackler family? Uh, yeah, basically, this is the same time that the Sackler family thing was happening. 
But we, we were just sitting there and we were, this was like UCSF. And so we're trying to regulate and what are, the way that we're going to re- regulate this is to have longer acting, better narcotics that are going to keep people out of pain and keep them comfortable. And so then it was, it was very in the moment of Oxycontin, but this was not Zachler family. This is like board certified, super hardcore, the best anesthesiologist at the best anesthesia training program on the planet. So so, so then what happened is, next thing you know, I see the devastation for the next 10 years in my clinical practice of every year people are on more and more narcotics and narcotics is just the ultimate, you know, chaotic sort of negative thing. So then you say, well, what is a better solution on, on the international side? You've got, you know, the stem cell front. Uh, and nationally, we're still doing adipose stem cells and adipose stem cells are super helpful for pain. And so then that's another thing that I need to tell you about. We can harvest fat and uh, turn it into nano fat. And then they put it in your face called fat transfer as an anti-aging technique, which we do. But then when you put it around nerves, it helps for nerve pain. And so then imagine we have plasma, placental matrix, growth factors, stem cells, out-of-the-country stuff, and we're doing that to regulate the nervous system, the cardiovascular system, the musculoskeletal system. This is the solution to pain. It's largely immune-oriented stuff, but then that gets people out of pain and back into movement, which is sort of our fundamental philosophy. And then that's basically where we're going. And and so then, and it took realistically 23 years to get here from that moment, which is kind of interesting. Wow. Fascinating. Matt, thank you so much. That was a total pleasure. It's super, super um, great to talk to you. And I can't wait to talk again. <laughs>